Welcome to Communities Education Podcast with Martin and Rob. In this episode, we're going to go straight into the second part of our pensions special with Janine Sampson, our technical officer for pensions. Hello once again and welcome to the education podcast for June. Now this is the second part of our pension special so I must reintroduce our technical officer Janine Sampson. Hello again everybody. Nice to have you with us once again. Uh, now we're just going to carry straight on in there's not going to be any here and now section this week folks I'm afraid we're going to go straight in to our working life section the second part of our pension special. So Janine, auto-enrolment, this is a phrase that people have probably heard quite a lot because there was quite a big campaign about it um, a few years ago. What actually is it? Yes, auto-enrolment. So the government wanted more people to start paying into a pension. So in 2012, they brought in what's called auto-enrolment. This is where all employers must now offer a pension scheme to any eligible worker. So anybody who is classed as a worker, works in the UK, is aged between 22 and the state pension age, and earns at least £10,000 a year. Now, there is a member's bill going through at the moment calling for the age and the lower earnings limit to be lowered. And this was introduced by an MP called Jonathan Gullis on the 27th of February of this year. And it went to the committee stage on the 15th of March. So it's still going through but it's wanting to lower the age to about 18 and it wants to lower the earnings from 10,000k, I think, to practically nothing. The minimum amount of contributions you pay in auto-enrolment is 8%. That'll be 3% from your employer, 4% from yourself and 1% will be tax relief, which is what the government gives you. You can choose to pay more and some employers actually do have schemes where they will pay more or they will match the contributions of the employee. Just check with your employer if they do that kind of thing. So what about, uh, Janine, because some of our members are uh, we're, we're thinking about peripatetic workers and maybe some childminders. Uh, what if you're self-employed? Do you still have to enrol in a workplace pension? If you're self-employed, you're not required to enrol in a workplace pension but you can choose to start your own personal or private pension. And what if you have multiple jobs? So I'm thinking maybe, I mean, this could be any combination, right? But maybe teachers who work three days a week and do two days a week in a supermarket or nursery nurses who work at several different nurseries. Uh, what happens if you've got multiple jobs? If you've got multiple jobs, then each employer will look at the earnings for that job regarding auto-enrolment. Obviously, if you're a teacher doing three days a week teaching, you will have automatically been put into the teacher's pension scheme. If you work in those extra two days in a supermarket, the supermarket will look at the criteria of your age, your earnings to make sure you're eligible. And if you're eligible, then you will be put into their workplace pension as well. So there's no limit on how many pensions you can contribute to. And I don't know if this is finally or not on this subject, but um this is something again we're seeing quite a lot even in education zero hours workers uh temporary workers people who work irregular hours so i one one hour one week and and 30 hours the next um how does their pension work again if they meet the auto enrollment criteria then they must be enrolled into the employer's pension scheme now there is a thing for the zero hours worker where the employer might postpone that member joining a workplace pension for up to three months and this is probably because they may being a zero hours worker may go after one month or two months. So if you only work somewhere for one month, 
you don't you don't need to have been enrolled in a pension for that one month. Not for the zero hours, no. But for anybody else, you would. If you meet the criteria, you should be. So we've mentioned trying to fix a gap in service being one of the most uh, asked questions that you get. What are the regular questions do members ask? Regular questions I'll get are things like, how do I apply for my teacher's pensions? How do I apply for my teacher's pensions? You must resign your post and make the application three to four months before you actually leave. This will give teachers' pensions time to actually process the application form. So that's teachers' pensions. Is there a different process for the local government pension scheme? No, it's pretty much the same. To get your pension, you must have left employment. So they will have had to let their employer know they're leaving. They would have had to put in a resignation letter, given the proper notice for the resignation, and then complete the application form. So what happens if people don't choose to retire, but they're forced to for some reason? For example, the job that they're doing, their workplace, there's a redundancy situation and they end up losing their job through redundancy. How does that affect someone's pension? If a member is in the local government pension scheme and they're aged over 55, they will automatically be paid their pension when they're made redundant and it's paid whether they want it or not. It's, it's, that's the rules. Um, If they are in the teacher's pension scheme and they're over age 55, then there's no um, automatic right to the pension. It's the employer's discretion. The employer can choose to give them what's called premature retirement. But there is a cost to this for the employer. So it isn't always granted. In those circumstances, they would just leave and their pension would cease until they start a new job. So is that something we'd recommend people get in touch with us then? If they're being made redundant around the age of 55, essentially, it sounds like a bit of a complicated issue and something they probably ought to get in touch with us about. Well, I think they should get in touch with us anyway if they're being made redundant. And it used to be that they used to get what's called a redundancy package. And sometimes, particularly in the teacher's pension scheme, if the pension was included in the redundancy package, it would probably be listed up there. Sometimes, Janine, we know that members contact us because they're too unwell to continue working. Maybe they've got a a, a disease which is causing them um, to be too unwell to work, or perhaps they've got a condition which is worsening over time and means that their ability to work is going to diminish over time. And this leads to them wanting to perhaps take ill health retirement. Can you explain a little bit about what that means and how someone might go applying for that and some of the difficulties that they might experience? Yes, ill health retirement is something that both pension schemes, local local government teachers' pensions will provide for if you are too ill to work. Now, just because you think you are too ill to work doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get ill health retirement. Both schemes have slightly different things that they award for ill health retirement. So the local government scheme has three tiers. You must prove that you're unable to do your job until your normal pension age. Now, your normal pension age is, in the career average, your state pension age. So you must prove that you are unable to to do your job until you are 67 or 66, whichever your pension age is. The three tiers, the first tier, the lower tier, that will give you your pension as at your ill health retirement date. The two other tiers will give you some enhancement. The second tier will give you a certain amount. The third tier will give you more. You need good medical evidence to prove that you cannot do your job until your retirement age, particularly if you're only in your 40s or your 50s. 
The teacher's pension scheme has two tiers. The first tier, the lower tier, you must prove you were unable to teach up until your state pension age. This will give you an unreduced pension to the amount that you have in your account up until you're granted ill health retirement. The higher tier will give you enhancement. And for this tier, you must prove that you're unable to teach or do any other gainful employment. Now, in the teacher's pension scheme, gainful employment means you are 90% impaired to carry out any work. That's quite a high bar to uh, to actually meet, isn't it? 90% it, it is a high impairment. Bar. That's, that's, a, yeah. that's a really high. Can I just come back? Uh, you, you, you talked about medical evidence there. I mean, mm -hmm. what sort of things do you normally see as medical evidence? Like you said, really good medical evidence. What would that have yes. to be? You must have a consultant's report. So if you have a degenerative illness, such as multiple sclerosis, that kind of thing, you should be under a consultant's care. They can provide a report. If you're having some kind of therapy, you can get a report from the therapist. Your GP can provide evidence if they're treating you. So anything gives some good medical information on your condition, how it limits your ability to work, that kind of thing. Also, with the teacher's pension scheme, you should have the assistance of occupational health because occupational health are usually ones that will complete your medical information application form. The local government scheme has a slightly different way of doing things. So when you want ill health retirement in the local government scheme, you let your employer know you want ill health retirement. They should then set up an appointment with what's called an independent medical registered practitioner. This person will assess you. And they will complete a form and on that form, it will give a recommendation of whether they think you meet the eligibility for ill health retirement or not. And is there anything that we as community, as union reps supporting our members, is there anything that we can do to help as part of this process to provide maybe assistance and advice to members? What what sorts of things can we do? We can look at the medical reports and see if, if it looks like they're going to get ill health retirement. We can't attend any of the meetings with them. Obviously, they're medical type meetings. We can't attend them kind of things. We are kind of limited because it is between the employer, the member and the scheme. Just at least one word on um, maybe some nursery members listening now who aren't in the LGPS or the TPS. And I know, we, you know we've talked before, but obviously every scheme is different. If, if someone in a different scheme is considering ill health, um, what would your advice to them be? If they're in the public sector scheme, like national health, civil servants, they'll have a similar scheme arrangement to what the teachers pensions have I imagine and the teachers pensions scheme when a person goes for ill health retirement then they've filled out the forms those forms go to teachers pensions and teachers pensions assessors decide whether they should be granted ill health retirement the the other public pension schemes will have a similar arrangement if they are in an auto enrolled scheme and it's a defined contribution scheme where they're market driven I have come across a scheme that allows or considers ill health retirement before age 55. So if you're before age 55 and you're at a point where you can't work, then you go to the scheme, you may be able to get ill health retirement that way. After age 55, those schemes don't because you can actually take your pension from age 55. And I imagine that's why you can't take it as ill health retirement afterwards. So if, if we do have members in that position where they're in an auto-enrolled private scheme, um, and they're you know, considering ill health for whatever reason, uh, unfortunately. 
Um, essentially, if they get all of their information together and then come to us, there's, there's something we might be able to help them with as long as we have all their information from their scheme. Yes, we'll we'll have a look and see what we can do with regards to their scheme and, and whether they can get ill health time from their scheme. Now, moving us on slightly, what about, and this is something I know we've spoken about before, buying back service, often to do with maybe absences around maternity and things. So it might it might um, affect women more than men. But uh, what does actually buying back service mean? Well, you can no longer buy back service. This was something from pre-2007. Now you buy additional pension, it's called. So in the teacher's pension scheme, you can buy blocks of £250 worth of pension up to a certain amount. But the cost of this will depend on your age, your sex, your normal pension age and how much service you have left. The local government pension scheme has a similar thing where if you're a main section member, you can pay additional contributions and that will buy you extra pension up to a maximum of £7,579 extra yearly pension. So you pay these amounts and when you retire, the amount you've paid is extra pension you'll get on top of what you've already accumulated. So if a member was off for a year, right, mm-hmm. they've, um, they've, they've been on maternity, but then they resign their post, spend the year at home, and then they return to work, what amount of money would they be looking at to, to buy back in those £250 blocks to make up that year? They, they'll, go on, they'll go on the website and they can put in a calculation of, I want to buy £250, I'm a female, I'm 40 years old, my normal pension age is 67, and it will calculate how much that costs. It'll give a year, it'll give a lump sum amount and it'll give a monthly amount to pay over several years. And I think they pay up to about 20 years for it. It may cost at that age for £250 only, it may cost well in excess of two or three thousand pounds. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's something Just to think about. Forget that. And they must be in pensionable service when they do this. So if they leave pensionable service, that will stop. And whatever they've paid for is probably only what they'll get when they retire. We know from casework that a a number of independent schools have been looking at their finances, uh, particularly driven by some of the difficulties of COVID. And the contributions to teachers' pension schemes from an employer's perspective are quite high. Is there anything you can tell us about what's been happening with pension schemes in independent schools? Yes, the high cost since 2019, the, the cost of mem- employers' contributions went up to 23.68, I think, percent. Um, obviously, some of these independent schools have found this quite high and quite unmanageable and have opted out of the teacher's pension scheme. I think in terms of casework that we've done uh, on this subject in the past, um, you know, ultimately, we can't stop an employer from um, from changing the pension provider that, that they're using. I mean, we, we'd encourage them to, to continue to use teacher's pension scheme. I think one example that we had uh, of a school where we worked on this as a case was they allowed um, existing staff to continue to pay into the teacher's pension scheme, but new staff were put into a different pension scheme. So these are sort of some of the um, the options we have when, when we're negotiating with, with any employer who wants to change pensions. Um, is to give the option of of maintaining the one you're already paying into, particularly if that's you know the one you've been planning on for many years and you've been 
tailoring your contributions towards your retirement and you're sort of 60 years old, maybe you're really close to the end of your of your um, working life, then we'd encourage employers to consider carefully what they do with their members' pensions at that point. With independent schools, if the school opts to leave the teacher's pension scheme and join a new scheme, the teacher's pension benefits that they have left they will remain, they will stay there until such time as they join the scheme again and add to it or until such time as they take the pension or if they transfer the pension to another scheme. Right. So if the school leaves that pension scheme, uh, it doesn't go anywhere. It's still there. They'll still get it. Yeah. Right. It doesn't get, all get moved over. That stays where it is and that a new pot started. Yeah. Right. And of course, if members are aware that there are issues at their employer with the pension scheme, there are conversations about moving from one of the public sector schemes into a private pension. Or indeed, if members have got any other questions about their pension scheme at their employer, they should definitely be getting in touch uh, with us on the telephone numbers, which can be found on our website. Now, we've spoken about people working in the local government pension scheme, people who are part of the teachers pension scheme. And we've mentioned nursery workers a little bit. We know that nursery workers can be very poorly paid. Are there minimum amounts that people need to be earning, even in order to be able to contribute to the auto enrolment scheme that might be in existence in their workplace, for example? Yes, for auto enrolment, the minimum they must earn is £10,000 a year. And is that for someone uh, that is uh, over 18, are there any age restrictions on, yeah. on pensions? Because we know that the earlier people start paying in, the bigger that the yeah. the uh, the contributions that they will be able to bank. So what are the rules around uh, around making pension contributions? Since 2012, when the government brought in to enrolment, everybody who qualifies must be put into a pension scheme by their employer. If they're not in the teachers pensions or anything like that then they'll be auto enrolled into a workplace pension they must be classed as a worker in the UK they must be between age 22 and the state pension age and they must be earning at least £10,000 a year. Janine are there any issues with pensions that we're not able to advise upon because I'm aware that pensions is a really big thing and that there are issues to do with with finances what are the things that members phone up about which unfortunately we're unable to provide advice on and perhaps is there anywhere they can go to get advice on those sorts of issues? Yeah the the questions that I tend to get that I can't answer are questions around money. What can I do with my lump sum? Should I convert my pension to a lump sum? Uh, Should I combine my pensions if, if the person's got several pensions in different places? Should I combine them all into one? I can't answer those sort of questions by law. That must be answered by a financial advisor. We do have a financial advisor who can give that kind of advice to members if they contact us for the details. If the member has a defined contributions pension, then they can go to PensionWise if they are over 50 and they will give them some free impartial advice. Okay, and moving on then to Mythbusters for another month. Thank you. Bit slow, but we got there in the end. Uh, We're not on the same wavelength, perhaps, that we normally are. Um, And as I said last month, they are on pensions again, unsurprisingly to uh, everybody, I guess. So I'm going to go straight in. Um, We've got uh, Martin and Janine answering the questions again on the myths this month. So my first one is, I can just take my lump sum and take annual pension later. 
it very much depends on the type of scheme that you are in. Some schemes allow you to take a lump sum. Some schemes don't allow you to take a lump sum. So it's very, very important that members check the scheme that they are in. Teachers pension scheme, local government pension scheme, university scheme, maybe one of the auto enrolment schemes to check the details on what it means and what the eligibility for lump sums and annualised pensions are, because it's not available to everybody. And uh, I would hate for people to think that they could just take a lump sum if that is something that isn't available on their particular scheme. Janine. Right. So if you are eligible for a lump sum, you cannot just take the lump sum. You must take the lump sum and the pension at the same time. So when you are in the teacher's pension scheme, if you left, say, on the 31st of March, your lump sum would be payable on the 1st of April. But your annual pension, your monthly pension payments would be payable the day before your birth date. So if you're born on the 13th, your monthly payment will be on the 12th. But you will have already received your lump sum. Excellent. As last month, flying through them nice and succinct. I hope everyone understands everything that, that, that we're talking about. All right. One more then. I can earn as much as I like after I've taken my pension. Ooh. We all like to think, don't we, that we've spent our entire working life building up to this pension. And uh, when we start receiving our pension, we're just going to jet off on a holiday and, and relax and do nothing. But the reality is for many people that their pension doesn't provide enough to allow them to continue to live. So they continue to work. And indeed, a lot of people choose to carry on working because they find value in what they do. There are, however, limits in terms of how much work you can do, how much pay you can receive before that starts affecting your pension and before that starts affecting your tax. So, Janine, this, this is quite detailed, so I'm going to hand over to you. For the teacher's pension scheme, if you are receiving your full benefits, that's if you've taken age retirement or premature retirement, i.e. you've been given your pension on redundancy, if you return to pensionable service, there is an earnings limit. This earnings limit is described as the difference between your salary of reference and your annual pension. So if your salary of reference is 40,000 and your annual pension is 15,000, in any given financial year, you can earn 25,000. Now, the first financial year, it's proportionate to when you left. From the following financial year, that's how much you can earn. If you earn over that, the scheme will stop your pension until the next financial year. If it is not picked up in time and you accumulate an overpayment, teachers' pensions will demand that money back and you must pay it back. If you take your teachers' pensions and you start a job in a non-pensionable role, i.e. a role that doesn't come under the teachers' pension scheme, then there is no limit to what you can earn. For the local government pension scheme, it's slightly different. There may be different rules with different schemes about how, how much you can earn, and it is best to check that with the actual scheme itself. If you return from taking early retirement, i.e. you took a reduced pension, there is no limit to what you can earn. For auto-enrolment, 
there is no limit to what you can earn. But presumably, if you start taking money from a, a direct contributions pot, then the amount that you get back out uh, is going to reduce. So if, if you continue earning, can you continue topping up your, your DC pot? How, how does that work if you are in receipt of that pension and also contributing to that pension? Yes, if you start contributing again underwater enrolment, there is a limit of how much you can put into your pot without affecting the tax relief. It used to be £4,000. It has now risen to £10,000. This, this change took place on the 6th of April 2023. And this amount you can contribute after you've taken your pension is called the Money Purchase Annual Allowance. Wow. So I appreciate there's some, you know, relatively intricate and in-depth stuff that we've discussed. And if you've not understood any of that, but it's really important to you, please do get in touch with us um, and uh, we can we can point you in Janine's direction and she can answer all your questions on it. Well, over the course of the last two episodes this month and last month, we've talked about some pretty intricate stuff. If you do have anything that we've talked about that you need more advice on, or if you just want to get some advice on pensions, you can get in touch with us and you can, in fact, get in touch with Janine, our technical officer for pensions, as I introduced her last month. So do get in touch with us and have all your pension or as many pension queries answered as possible. And that brings us to the end of another education podcast. Uh, So it just remains for us to say that uh, don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us here at the podcast, you can do on education policy at community-tu.org. Follow community on social media for news, shared content and resources. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. For any help and advice, the first place to go is our website, www.community-tu.org, where you can check out Frequently Asked Questions, the Advice Centre and information sheets. If you do want more information on pensions, there is an information sheet available on the website. Just log on to www.community-tu.org. If you are a member and you need casework support, then please contact your regional team or call our call centre on 0800 389 6332. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe and tell everyone to join us on the Education Podcast.